This is episode number 350. How to find your path in life with Mark Divine. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement, and that announcement being, if you've enjoyed any of the previous episodes, please consider supporting our work by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. So I came across your name when actually it was from one of uh, Chelsea Handler's episodes um, that you guys did together, which was really, really funny. Um, She's awesome. By the way. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah. There's just something about her personality and her energy that's uh, it's real. It's raw. It it gets to the point. There is no fluff. And it's just pure human experience. Yeah. Um happening in front of us. So when I when I was watching the whole thing of, you know, going through the training and uh, I mean, it was hysterical in many different ways, but I started to dig a little bit deeper into your story and how you were able to get to that point. And what fascinated me and what piqued my interest was how you've been able to transition, sounds like a number of times throughout your life between different positions and chapters and kind of starting from, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just quoting based off of my own research, but, you know, CPA, pursuing a lifelong dream of becoming a Navy SEAL, which it's actually a, one of my cousin's dreams. So I sent him a quick text before I, this interview is happening. Um, and so I'm just curious, maybe as a way to even kind of kick off this conversation, when you were in that moment, A, was it difficult to leave the career that you had probably spent a majority of your life building as far as the CPA goes? And B, what was it like to be able to say yes to a dream that might have been there kind of on the back burner for quite some time? Yeah, Actually, that's probably a, a good place to dispel the first myth is the Navy SEALs were not a lifelong dream for me. I didn't mm. even know about them until my early 20s. Again, I'm I'm a little bit older than most people listening, probably. I'll, I'll be, um, I'm 59. And so I was, you know, there weren't much information about the SEALs. There wasn't much information about the SEALs in the 80s when I was in college and then, you know, started my first career. We had no movies about it, no TV shows, no internet. Lone Survivor wasn't a thing yet? No, no, no Lone Survivor. <laughs> and you could, you know, there, there were a couple of Vietnam era books buried in, you know, the library if you knew where to look, but I wasn't looking for them. So that is like a big contrast to a lot of people who come and train with me or, or my company seal fit. They're like 12 years old and they're like, I want to be a Navy seal someday. And, you know, I've wanted it since I was five. I'm like, I didn't have any clue that there were a Navy seals when I was five. 
In fact, they were only like five years old when I was five because the SEALs were started in the year I was born, actually, mm. <laughs> which is kind of ironic. At any rate, so I was, you know, the, the, the short answer to your story of how do you or how have I been able to transition, you know, from CPA heading off on that corporate money route into the Navy SEALs as a, as a warrior leader and then from the Navy SEALs into entrepreneurship and then from, you know, and then multiple different forms of entrepreneurship, government contracting, you know, commercial brewery, restaurant, into internet marketing of information and, and services and then training. And corp now corporate training, each one of these has been like learning a whole new language. Mm. And then into, um, you know, being an author and a podcaster like you and, and um, even developing some spiritual training for, for um, mainly for men called Kokoro Yoga. The answer is I've learned, I learned in my early 20s how to deconstruct stories that created the identity of that current version of Mark. And to then replace those stories with a different um, storyline and a different language, even and a different identity and self-concept, which then opened up the possibility and the potential for that new um, to emerge and also let go of blockages or barriers that would have prevented it from happening. Mm. And all this came about quite surprisingly when I um, stumbled into a martial arts studio where the, the grandmaster was also a Zen master. And I started studying Zen at 21 years old meditation. And this is while I was at NYU getting my MBA in finance and working at Cooper's and Libran, which is now PricewaterhouseCoopers becoming, you know, working toward my CPA, which is a two year painful ordeal. And very certain that I was going to continue that path and make a shit ton of money and, you know, climb to the top of that, ladder because that's the story that I had been trained in and believed in. And that's how my mind was shaped. And, and so I didn't question it until I sat down in that freaking wooden bench with Zen master Nakamura. And because I trusted him and I stuck with it and I did it as a daily practice. And literally a year later, I started to experience radical dissonance internally with the path that I had chosen with what I was experiencing on that bench. And it, and it shattered my, it was the first shattering of my reality where I fucking, excuse my language, suddenly realized that who I thought I was, I was not. Mm. And that I was barreling down a path that was going to lead to what Thoreau called a quiet life of desperation. And so, in a, you know, you could say that I had a midlife crisis at 22 years old. <laughs> I'm very grateful for that, actually. <laughs> you know, most people have it in their 40s or 50s, and then they feel like they don't have time or they feel trapped because they've got the mortgages and the family. And I, I was able to go through all that at 22 and, and shit can that entire story that was my family's story, that was, you know, my culture of origin, even all my peers at Colgate University where I got my undergraduate degree. And it, it was hard work though, right? It took literally three years of work and mental training and journaling and reflection and contemplation. Um, and there was very few people 
in my lane, let's just say. My parents, I didn't, I couldn't even confide in them. My peers, you know, a couple of them thought I was fun and most of them thought I was crazy. Mm. Welcome to the club. Right. And so I just had to keep trusting my intuition, which was telling me from mainly when I sat on that bench, it's telling me that I was meant to be a warrior and that I was not meant to be a merchant CPA. And it didn't say, mind you, like that I was meant to be a Navy SEAL. I experienced the energy of the warrior. And when I started to acknowledge that as a reality, not as a fantasy, and that that was where I was supposed to be, and that I was in the wrong place, when I, when I acknowledged that and opened up to that, that's when I learned about the Navy SEALs literally just synchronicity walking past a Navy recruiting office one day and there's this poster and it had Navy SEALs doing SEALy stuff. And I was transfixed and I knew that was it. How do you interpret that? How do you interpret that moment? Um, having, having, you know, I, I interpreted some energy yeah. and then all of a sudden you quote unquote walk by a random office because I've had moments like that too. And it's just like, that's where I'll interpret it as far as this is the path I've chosen. I'm meant to be on, but I'm curious from your lens, like what was the interpretation of that? Then or now? Either, both. Then I was just quite surprised, but I'd had already um, many moments in my life where where my experience was just out of the ordinary already when I was 22, right? I had many moments where I was just like, huh, there's more to what's going on in this physical world, material world than meets the eye. And so I, I was already open. Plus with my Zen training and the experience I was having in, in Zen and the flow states that would accrue for hours after my Zen practice, I was already opening to the fact that there was more to this existence than what we had been taught or what we're led to believe. So when I stumbled across that, you know, had I not had those experiences and that kind of trust, I, I would have missed it or I wouldn't have come across it or I would have just had my head down and my old iPod headphones in and I would have missed it. But I was open to the, you know, what I experienced to be the growing mystery of life. And so I was, able to see that what, what was being shown me. So that's just the way I said, Oh, that's cool. That's here's another one of those experiences where I'm being shown something. And so I'm going to pay attention to that. So I'm going to go talk to the recruiters about the Navy SEALs. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt after that conversation, you know, that, yeah, this is it. This is, this is the way I'm meant to be a warrior in this lifetime. Mm. Now, if you ask me that today, which you just did, um, I have a greatly different understanding, a much more expansive understanding, right? Of what this world is and what our, what we are. And um, I recognize that our, our life is really just a constantly moving toward that, which is why we're here on this planet, which is to experience things and, to, and to undergo certain challenges and, and um, opportunities for growth to, 
overcome patterns and, and conditioning and negativity and what, you know, what the yogis would call karmic conditioning. And you're presented multiple opportunities to align and to, and to overcome those challenges. And if you miss it or ignore it or shirk it or deny it, it'll just come at you in another way, often in a more painful way. And so, so that's part one. Part two is I've come to recognize that this entire physical time, space, material dimension is a, it's a dance of consciousness, right? It's a projection. It's a, it is a fantasy game that when you can learn how to play the game through your mental training, you begin to experience the connectedness between all things and all people and all, all things, essentially everything. And to experience that sameness and oneness, and you, you have more and more um, connection to the, you know, what they would call unity consciousness or source energy. And you become much more of a witness to the game being played and you just start to see that things just happen and we we take ownership and authorship of those things which is our our mind our ego but the reality is these things are just happening and so it just ha it just happened that i became a navy seal of course i can i i'm going to believe at the ego level at a material level that i did all this glorious work and then i'm you know i'm this superstar because i was honor man in my class and all that but Frankly, it was, it just happened. It all just was spontaneous. Now that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but it is a, um, words can't really describe what I'm trying to describe. So I can only describe it with the language that I have. I had a conversation. <clears throat> it's funny because I had this conversation literally two hours before you and I got on, on the call. Is that right? Interesting. How cool is that? similar conversation where we were talking about the same exact concepts. And one of the things that I brought up to her, and I'm curious to hear your perspective in regard to a lot of these opportunities that life presents to us, which I think happens on a daily basis. Do you think that if you don't choose to participate or engage or be open to the possibility of those opportunities, that after a while they become less and less in your life? Or is it always in abundance? I think that it's always there, but you train your mind not to see them and not to believe in them. And so you don't see them, but it doesn't mean that they're not there. And a lot of this has to do with our vibrational quality, our level of you know, a frequency that we operate out. And so training the mind, training of the type that I'm, we're talking about, um, many people do it at a purely intellectual level and it doesn't change who they are. It just, it just makes them more focused. And I had a, one of my meditation teachers once said, hey, if you're an asshole and you, and you meditate for 20 years, you're just going to be a more focused asshole. Because <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't transform your being. It just transforms how effective you are. And many people, most people actually would, I would go to say, do meditation and hacks and mental training and yoga and all these things really to either, you know, to be more healthy or look better. 
or to, to improve their life quality through by, you know, focusing better performance, concentration, decision-making. And all that's fine and good, but if it doesn't change the, um, the level of consciousness, which is experienced as a, you know, the, the frequency that you vibrate at, that you operate at, if it doesn't evolve you toward love, universal love, wholeness, then you're just going to be a more focused negative person or more focused, you know, technocrat. And you're not going to attract that synchronicity into your life, right? We are essentially living in a world of our own creation. There aren't, there isn't one world. There's 8 billion worlds all colliding like billiard balls. It's kind of mind blowing actually to even think about that. It is. And so the world that you see is the world that you first create with your projections and your beliefs. And then at the same time, co-create with how people resonate with that energy of those ideas, beliefs, the energy you bring into the world. And so there is a, 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 um, a codependent arising of the outer with the inner that happens simultaneously. And it's happening to everybody. And there's, that's why you can't say there's any single world out there because everybody's experiencing a radically different world. Now, there, there is agreement amongst humanity based upon language and the history of the cultures. And there is some agreement on what we consider to be, quote, real and the rules out there in the world that we consider to be the shared world. But the more work you do in spiritual development, the more you realize those agreements are just basically mental constructs in and of themselves. And there are different ways to experience. And just like, you know, we think, oh, well, bird experiences reality just like a human would be flying through the sky. That is absolutely not true, right? Their reality, even their vision is different. They have four-dimensional vision where they can see um, speed of movement, right? And this is how they can literally just move instantaneously. And so that, you know, their vision is very different. And all animals, all species have different, and you, you have to assume also that human beings have different ways of perceiving the world. And maybe even though we agree that a table's a table, different cultures might see it differently or experience it differently, or, you know, highly evolved spiritually, um, spiritual practitioners might just see, be seeing energy. And, you know, Dajjan Buddhism talks about the highest form of mental development, you know, post in, you know, what you would consider to be enlightenment, where everything dissolves into the mandala, which is like the holograph. And so you begin to live life, experiencing it as a holographic projection with you at the center. So there are many way, ways to experience this thing we call life. But the ultimate truth that I've discovered and that a lot of people have discovered and you can't find it with the mind is that we are all the source of all. Mm -hmm. We are the source of all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then from that, we get to, you know, sources experiencing like a, a single point of light. 
that we mistake or we then identify with as a separate being. So anyways, when you sit and you meditate and you go into those still moments, those stillness, that radical stillness, suddenly you experience what that source energy projected through that single point of light is meant to experience with this rising and falling of this current incarnation. Hmm. How do you, this is really interesting on, on many different levels. And I, I'm definitely going to send this directly to a friend of mine once we're done because it, it hits every single point her and I talked about. One of the things that I'm curious to hear from you is in knowing what you know about life and then also knowing that there's a lot that you, you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't oh, know. Yeah. How do you move forward with a lot of these constructs that – have been created for us five-year plan monthly benchmarks do this do that when really i subscribe to a similar theory that you do and that's i'm just here to experience now i think there's a difference between i'm here to experience anything and everything and i'm here to experience the things that i want to experience like intentionally put out there and through whatever mechanism or form they get attracted and drawn into my line of sight. And then I get to make the choice. Do I want to engage or do I want to pass on and you know, go on to the next thing? In thinking about that, do you believe in five-year plans? How do you structure your life knowing that, okay, this is what I understand about life and this is how it works? Have I in the past worked off of plans? Yes. But, you know, I learned in the SEALs, no plan survives contact with the enemy and the, the environment gets a choice. So plans are about as worth as much as the paper they're written on. Having said that, you do need directionality. And you, and you need to have a sense for um, what the vision for your future is. But that doesn't come from planning nor does it come from creating a vision board about the perfect house you want and the perfect car you want and the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend you want. It comes from developing clarity around your purpose or calling. And that is found in stillness. So I stopped doing five-year plans, quarterly plans, monthly plans, I do have a weekly plan and that's basically what ends up squirting through my filters and onto my schedule like this, like this, which is, you know, what I want to do, which is in alignment with my purpose, which is in alignment with my vision. And as long as I'm doing things daily, weekly that are aligned with my purpose and, and what I will call my mission and my vision, then I'm doing the right things. And so I'm deeply intuitional now about that. And I've come to believe back, you know, kind of what you said, you know, the universal will put things in front of me and I have to decide yes or no. And the reality is it already, the decision's already been made. Yeah. That's the other, it's, it's made, at the, complex it's part. made at the speed of awareness and then everything gets slowed down because we experience this mind 
the mind experiences time, the body experiences space. In the mind, in order to, for us to, to hang on to this identity that there is a mark or there's an Oleg, we slow everything down and we pack what happens in that current moment of instantaneous awareness into a memory. And then, then we link those memories into our identity. And that happens all like at a snail's pace compared to the speed of awareness, which is instantaneous. And so the decisions, you know, you, 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 you perceive to be presented with two options, go left, go right. The decision's already made. Then you go into your mind and you, and you, and you stretch that out and you call that a, a, a plan, a choice, or you stretch it out further and you make a plan. Now, this is where free will comes in, because if you're deeply steeped in ego and you're making decisions based upon um, avoidance of things that are painful and that you fear and moving toward things that you find pleasurable or that are going to alleviate potential future pain or fear moments, then you can easily choose to override what has already been decided as good or right or the natural path for you and make the wrong decision. It's, it's definitely a conundrum, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of like strange, um, conundrum is not the right word, but conflicts in language when you, when you try to explain the difference between living in pure duality with, with strong ego identity versus beginning to or living in alignment with your spiritual source energy and recognizing that, you know, some of these things that we've talked about are true. Because you can't, you cannot understand that from the level of mind. You can only, in fact, in fact, the spiritual leaders will say you can only point to it by t talking about what it is not. That's the concept of neti neti, not this, not that. And so through negation, like the, like the classic um, direct path or Johnny meditation practice of Ramana Maharshi is that practice of asking, who am I? And then getting to the answer to that through negation. I am, I am not this Navy SEAL. I'm not a Navy SEAL. You know, this body experience, experience that, but it's not who I am. I am not an MBA, CPA. I am not even this identity mark. And I roam around my consciousness. I can't find any mark in there. It, it is all based on memories of this perceived connection of events, which were actually just a, an actual moment of pure presence that I mistook as mark. And in that pure awareness present moment, when you do the work of Ramana Maharshi in the direct path, you recognize that there is no mark. There is no identity. There's just pure awareness. But then it's, it spills like over a waterfall immediately into memory that then we mistake as our ego then takes authorship and ownership of. And then it continues to perpetuate the, the myth of the identity of mark. Now, someone who's never done any spiritual practice or done any negation practice or had any kind of unity experience like with the psychedelic experience or anything like that would think that what i just said is absolutely insane and that i've lost my marbles and they're right but 10 years ago i would have said the same thing 
right? But that's the experience that I have. And it's the experience that thousands of other practitioners have had and they could validate it, but with their own words. And all the true saints will all say that what they're pointing to is indescribable. Words aren't going to do it justice. It can only be experienced because you cannot speak about it or even experience it from the level of the mind. You have to go beyond the mind. And for, for most people, they say that's impossible. But when you do the practice, when you do the work, you find you'll eventually find through this process of negation and surrender that what's left is pure awareness, absent of thought. But you don't go away, but you just recognize that you are source energy. You are God, if you will, if we have to qualify what that word means, because everyone thinks it means something different. You are that. You are that. And that is also having this instantiation of a of life that you identified earlier as Mark. It also, it, it, and there's something else that I've experienced. And one of the reasons why I asked you these questions is because this is not even kind of, but this is exactly the chapter that I'm at in my life where I'm aware and I'm becoming even more aware of things that I'm able to experience and the things and the words like coincidence have completely exited my vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it's, it, it's too many things that hear and it's just, um, it's indescribable. It's an mm -hmm. indescribable experience, which made me think of something else. And that's when you are so aware when you are in that space, going back to the point of free will, if there is such a thing, when you are so aware and connected to that source, to that energy, what is that free will at that point? Mm -hmm. Is it solely to choose? I mean, because I, so I do, I do agree with you as far as the de decision is already made. There's so no, is it there, just for me? There to... is free will and there's no free will. Yeah. The enlightened, the enlightened will say everything is as it is and it happens spontaneously. But if you're not enlightened and working from duality, then, then you have free will within certain boundaries. And then that's what I was describing earlier, right? You, you can deny your reality and choose things that aren't going to be healthy for you or good for your karmic growth or shedding of that karmic energy, which is going to lead you up the scale of consciousness, which is basically to a higher vibrational level into the fields of love, universal love, bliss, you know, pure enlightenment. And so, and when you do that, then guess what? You know, you, you will pass away and then you will have a reckoning and it's not going to be painful. There's not going to be devils and pitchforks. It's just going to be basically you back you know, when you reorganize your mind and back into, you know, come back into some semblance of personal um, identity, which is going to be very different. You know, again, I can't point to it because I don't remember it. But you will find that this life was blueprinted with your help. 
and you're going to be able to see where you your free will in duality led you astray, led you astray, led you astray, or maybe you aligned, you aligned, you aligned, and and you either grew or you didn't grow. You'll get an accounting of all that, and then you'll get to design another blueprint, especially or mainly if you haven't evolved to where you get to opt out, move on to another assignment, so to speak. So then you'll get, you'll come back you choose another birth instantiation and you'll come back. And, and when you merge into this, another human life, let's hope it's a human life. Um, you won't remember because the energy of that source identity is very, very subtle compared to the very gross and material energy of this world. And, and it, and it, it's just going to be radically completely hidden from view. And also you don't have the brain structures to, to be able to relate to that energy. Fully access that part. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it takes a highly evolved person to then later on or at some point in their life to be able to access past life memories or, and, and frankly, it doesn't matter anyways, because each life is going to be completely different. They don't like thread together in a story arc. You know, I don't think so anyways right? There might be some energy that you play out over a period of time, like in warrior, like I had the sense and, and some visions in an ayahuasca ceremony once that, I, that I've been a warrior for, for many lifetimes now in different ways. But this was my last life as a warrior. It was time for me to put down the weapon and pick up the pen and the lectern, you know, to be a teacher. Anyways. Wow, I didn't know we were going to talk about all this stuff, but I'm glad we are. It's fun. <laughs> Most people it's... don't. They think we're going to tell Navy SEAL stories and stuff. And <laughs> I'm I'm a very different type of Navy SEAL, and I was very influenced by my my Zen practice, which that led to a qualitatively different experience for me. You know, in terms of how I led and, and the assignments that I got, and you know, I didn't end up becoming you know a knuckle dragging. Navy SEAL kicking down doors in Iraq. I, even though I went to Iraq, I literally did it to study whether the Marine Corps should enter the special ops. And I was attached to SEAL Team One. You know, like, how did that come about? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you didn't become Goggins, not to say there's anything wrong with him. I didn't become him, Goggins or Jocko. Yeah, I love those guys. They're very different. Um, and, and when I started teaching Navy SEALs in 2006, I, I wanted to teach them what I had learned. And I wanted to develop a more complete warrior. And I'm really humbled that the SEALs are now teaching those skills. Like the SEALs at BUDS now use box breathing and my visualization techniques and the, the practices that I call unbeatable mind. The SEALs are now using those. And so are the Green Berets as well as the pararescue. So they found their way into the service, which are making a better warrior, more survivable, more aware. And, you know, if they're doing the practice, if they take on the practices, they will become more morally uh, capable to make good decisions on the battlefield, not just go play whack-a-mole, you know, and which is going to make them less violent. Now, people don't really recognize this, but Navy SEALs and, and all elite warriors, the right ones, really abhor violence. Yet, we're like sheepdogs. We can really? do violence because we train for it, but we abhor it. And it's the last, it's the last thing. It's the last option. It's the politicians and the corporate interests who profit off a of war that push people into war. I always thought the opposite. And, and 
Thank you for sharing that because it definitely shifted my perspective. I have a handful of friends that wanted to go into Navy SEALs. I have a couple of friends that went into National Guard. And I just, I, at the time when they were making the decision, I didn't understand their world. Yeah. I, I just, well, that's, I, that's I had right, a very different path. Their world path. was their world and your world was your world. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was just due to the story I created in my own mind about what that experience is like. And then having had conversations with people like you and so many others, it's like, man, I was off by a lot as far as what I thought that world was like and what it actually could be. So that was really good for me because it, it opened myself up to a completely different perspective. And going back to even how we started this conversation in regard to the story, that's something that I believe in it's being challenged every single day as I evolve and change and grow. But I still believe that it's to some degree, I think much of the experience and existence boils down to a story. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, whatever the story that you tell yourself internally ends up guiding a lot of the decision makings mm-hmm. one makes the visions, the plans, the whatever mm-hmm. else. And I really like how you said or how you noted the concept of recognizing the story. And then for me, it was asking the question of, is the story serving me? It was that simple. Mm -hmm. And the answer was no. So there I was given an opportunity to create a different narrative. Right. So, you know, a lot of the things that you and I discussed, it's six, 10, 20, 40 years in the making, as well as hundreds of others well before us. But I think what it alludes to is that it's possible. It's mm-hmm. possible to pick a different narrative. That's right. Regardless of where you are in the journey. And it can happen spontaneously or it, could, it needs to take a lot of work. And some will be both, right? Sometimes you'll just have this what the F moment. You know, we call it a paradigm shift. You're like, wow, you know, something's changed or something's shifted or maybe it's an event or a crisis or um, whatever. And then other times it's like, you know, you just repeating the same pattern until you finally get clubbed over the head. You know, your, yeah. your girlfriend says, dude, you know, this is the way you're showing up for me. And you're like, I didn't even know that. And then you go and get some therapeutic help and, and you get to surface why this pattern exists in you. And then you get to, you know, when you can bring that pattern or that idea or that storyline to the surface from subconscious to objective awareness, conscious objective awareness and you can objectify it like look at it like from as a second person would look at it then usually you can eradicate it quite simply and if it's something more traumatic like sexual abuse or any kind of trauma from early childhood it's going to take a little bit longer but you can eradicate it and it's usually the eradication comes both first from awareness and then through forgiveness. That's interesting. Yes. And so the energy that you have, that negative energy was creating those negative patterns, which are holding you back or causing challenges in life. Awareness is the first step. But if that's all you do with it and you just work with it, like in talk therapy, then you can actually make it worse. Because you're, you're treating it, at, you know, it's kind of like Einstein said, you can't solve a problem from the same level that created it. You're treating that problem still from the level of fear 
and negativity and regret, even though you brought it into your conscious awareness and you, and you perpetuate the problem. It'll show up maybe in a different way, but it's still going to show up. So you've got to then change the energy in your relationship to change the vibrational quality. You've got to take it into another uh, realm, which then releases all that negative energy. Doesn't hold you back anymore. And then that, then that energy is yours to use for positive, for positive growth. That's something I'm, I'm very fortunate. A friend of mine had taught me, this was five or six years ago or brought to my awareness. We were talking about something completely unrelated as most conversations are like this, right? You're right. talking about one thing and all of a sudden <laughs> you're in the middle of the ocean. It's like, what's happening? And he was talking to me about this concept of changing your vibration. And for me, it was very profound be because he said that whenever you feel like you are stuck or trying to solve something or something is not going, quote unquote, your way or things are not coming into your life, he just simply said, change your vibration. Go do something at a different frequency. Yeah. Go exercise. Go for a walk. Well, that, that works to remove the current trigger situation, whatever. But you have to recognize that you caused that thing to happen to begin with, with the vibration. And just by changing your situation, you will temporarily step out of that, but you haven't removed the energy, the source of it. And so you have to do this work that I'm talking about of eradicating those negative patterns that get trapped inside of us. And that's the work of shadow work that I'm talking about. But I, what I was trying to suggest is shadow work is the way a lot of people do it misses the, the forgiveness and the love part, because that's really, you know, that that's takes courage. And if you just bring into awareness and work with it and, and, you know, do some kind of trick, like, you know, visualize the dark energy turning to light or, or, or like sitting in the theater and making the image really small, you can create some detachment to it, but that negative energy is still going to be there. And so you have to, um, you really want to grow fast and evolve. You got to convert all the negative energy that you trapped into positive energy and do that through ex first acceptance and then forgiveness, forgiveness of yourself. And then whoever you perceive to have per 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 perpetrated the, you know, the trauma on you, um, and then ultimately, the more evolved you get, you recognize that you set it all up anyways. So just forgiving, forgiving yourself really is enough. Mm. And for anyone that's going to be listening to this, where does where can one begin? Journal? Simple as that? Sitting in silence and the is the best and with a journal at your side. So instead of journaling, well, you can do it with stream of conscious journaling, but in a very, very open and receptive state and just be willing for anything to come out. But if you're thinking journaling, then that's not going to be that much good. That's more like planning because you're working from the level of your ego mind. So that's why I say journaling is good, but it's better to have a journal and to let the journaling happen instead of do journaling. Okay. So how do you get to this place of surrender and receptivity to be able to let whatever's inside of you come out? You have to get really still, which is what meditation is. It's, it's the act of the process of trying to steal your mind, of, of seeking to steal your mind. And in order to do that effectively, there's a certain kind of prerequisites. One is that your body has to be healthy physically. 
in order for your brain to be healthy, in order for you not to sit and just be agitated and uncomfortable and be distracted all the time. So your body needs to be healthy. And second, your brain needs to be decluttered and distracted, un, um, de-distracted first, which means we have to um, really be cautious or more curative about what we let in. And so if someone's consuming new network news and is stuck in the, you know, in the patterns of negativity around all that, they're not going to be successful when they sit down and meditate to just find stillness suddenly. So they have to go through a process of shutting down all those negative inputs, you know, becoming much more sensible with how they use their mobile devices and social media and begin to create the conditions for stillness to be, you know, to be even be able to be accessed in their minds. And then we have to, um, the next step, so physical health, um, obviously exercise, sleep, nutrition, dial that in. Uh, simultaneously begin to work on decluttering the distractions and the commitments and the social media and the news and just start unplugging from all that stuff. And you think, well, I'm going to lose, miss something and you, and you never miss anything. You, you just gain everything. You gain your life back, you gain your freedom back because that's all just mental control. It's mental training. And then con concurrently, we can start a practice of breath control, which allows us to re-engineer reactivate our parasympathetic nervous system, which bleeds off all this excess energy, which is experienced as anxiety, um, hyperactivity, even depression. And we, it bleeds off all that energy and gets us back into a state of equanimity or homeostatic balance, brahmacharya, which is balance. And then we start experiencing better life conditions and better uh, decisions around what we put in our body, both both mental food and physical food. And then we're ready to really go to the next level of meditation, which is to find stillness. So it could be six months to a year of preparatory work. And, and because of all that, most people who just sit down and try to meditate fail. And what they're actually doing is just sitting and thinking. And I'm not going to say that there aren't health benefits to just sitting and thinking because it's better than constantly doing and doing and doing and expecting different yes. results. But it's not what I'm talking about for meditation, which is why meditation, you have to really be clear about what you're talking about. That word has been corrupted because it means different things to different people, just like the word spirit or spiritual does. So once we get the, the body mind in the state where it's able to sit quietly, and you find moments of stillness, then you align with that source energy and you are showed things. And it shows up as imagery or intuition or just a sense of knowingness, direct perception. And that's when it's helpful to have that journal there because then you can write it down. Warrior is a word I wrote. It's like, where the fuck did that come from? Warrior, I'm not a warrior, I'm a CPA. So I could then reflect on it. So the difference between contemplation and, and meditation is when I receive some information like that, then I can contemplate it. Like, what does that mean? How am I supposed to be a warrior? Where does that, where does that energy show up in my life? Or am I denying it, right? Am I, is, is fear holding me back from those courageous warriorly things? 
And so then you can ask those questions and then sit in stillness and, and more direct perception or answers will come to you. You write those down. Same thing happens when, you know, through this process, you begin to see the patterns of your life because you, this process naturally leads to a metacognitive shift where now yes. you are witnessing your thoughts and you're not your thoughts. You stop identifying as the thinker. Now you're, you're the thinker, but you're not the thoughts. So that's the first level. The second level, you realize you're not even the thinker. You're the spirit, pure spirit. And you're just witnessing the thinker having those thoughts. <laughs> So that's one interesting thing. But when you get to that, at least that second level of metacognitive thinking about your thinking, it's still mind level. Then when things surface in those moments of stillness, you are able to like work with it. And so what you start to see is patterns, the patterns that, you know, you have more perspective on your entire life, both now and in the past. And you can see the patterns like from someone else's perspective, because you are looking at it literally from a different perspective because you're not merged wrapped up in the thoughts and, and the actions. And so those patterns, then um, the ones that aren't serving you, the ones that, that are overt and in your conscious, that's what you call the story. Those are your beliefs. Those are the things that you can name, but in your subconscious that shows up as conditioning, reactive conditioning, trigger, you know, the way you behave in certain situations. And those are part of your story, but they're hidden from view. And so meditation will surface those and you'll be able to begin to look at them and then you can journal them and say, whoa, you know, this pattern keeps arising. What is that? Or asking questions. This is why therapy, you know, how therapists can point it out or asking your spouse, how am I showing up? Can you, do you see patterns that, you know, my wife and I do that all the time. I point out patterns to her. She points out patterns to me. I'm like, wow, look at that. I thought I'd worked on that, but no. Um, I tried that and yeah. Sometimes it worked. You got to have a very... That Good that was the <laughs> know, end right? of that relationship. Do that one with caution. Exactly. Yeah. I tried the whole flashcard. Let's tell each other what we think. And that's awesome. yeah, that's that was the beginning and an end to that journey. <laughs> then it was meant to be so. It was meant to be so. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Mark, thank you for this on so many different levels. You're welcome. How can people connect with you? What do you have going on? Uh, any way that people can get access to your work, your courses? Of course. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Markdivine.com, my personal website kind of has a, you know, the overview of every, what I do, my books, the Mark Divine Show podcast, my, it has my blog, weekly newsletter. Um, but if someone's interested in training with us, uh, sealfit.com is our, uh, you know, strong mind, strong body, strong team training program. And it's, um, you can also learn about our unbeatable mind program there or go to unbeatablemind.com, which is the more integrative holistic program that we're talking about. And, and it, you know, it, it's experienced as part of our community. Um, so, you, you know, you enter a community with a couple thousand people who are practicing in this way, you know, we call it five mountain training, physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitionally, and spiritually. And also our courses are all part of that platform. I have a year long course called Unbeatable Mind and I have a course based upon my book, The Way of the Seal. So that's a really fun way to do it. If you're interested in um, like really kickstarting your year in 23, we will be launching a Seal Fit Challenge, which will have physical training and nutritional guidelines. And it'll be like a six week kind of kick in the jimmy to kick off your year. You can learn more about that at sealfit.com. It's not launched yet. That'll be 
coming out in a few weeks, but at least you can go and get our email list um, by going to sealfit.com or Unbeal Mind or Mark. Any one of those email lists will um, put you into the information flow. Uh, we have some incredible training. Like we are world-class at what we do, my team and I, um, of certified coaches. And we have a lot of fun doing it. We don't take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've noticed that. That's why I was like, I got, I got to connect with this guy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a sign of a, a good teacher, someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously or think they've got it all figured out. Mm. So I don't, and I don't think I got it all figured out. I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. And just by emptying my cup every day, I found that it gets filled spontaneously and quite naturally with even greater, more interesting things. <laughs> which is why I love conversations like this. Cause I'm like, Hey, let's see what happens today. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Sometimes it's quite surprising. Well, it's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. You were a very, very good interviewer. So thank you for the, your work and for helping spread the news and love of the possibilities of evolving your consciousness. Cause I think that we have a historic opportunity to really affect positive change by being the change we want to see in the world at scale. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.